Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, we um, are in this series on what we believe, and today we're going to be talking about one of those issues that, um, well, we don't like to talk about it, but we have to talk about it. We don't like to think about it, but we have to think about it. Um, at the end of this message, I'll go ahead and tell you, we're, we're going to have a time for response. And for some of you, it may be to decide, I need to make sure, I need to know that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. For others of you, it may be the deep heartache that you have about a family member or a friend who has not made a decision concerning Christ and a desire to pray for them and to lift them up to the Father. So just know that we're going to have that opportunity at the end of the service. Um, many, many years ago, Mary and I were in San Francisco for a couple of days, and we decided to go out and visit Alcatraz. We had not been that, done that before. And I, I will tell you, it's not a fun place to visit. If any of you have ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's kind of an eerie place to visit, especially when you think about that place as a prison. And I mean, the, no prisoner was ever sent there under the best of conditions. And people like um, uh, Al Capone was imprisoned there and the Birdman of Alcatraz. But there was one particular prisoner, uh, prisoner number 117. And you, you, those of you who may know, remember his name, uh, his name was George Machine Gun Kelly. And uh, he was known as Machine Gun Kelly because he liked to use a machine gun. Um, but he wrote these words about his time there. And he said, these five words were written on the walls of my cell. Nothing can be worth this. And basically he was saying, you know, I agree with that. The consequences of all the actions that I've taken and become so clear and there was nothing that I accomplished, nothing that I did that makes it worth this. And how much more true are these words if they were written on the walls of hell itself? There's nothing that I gained in my life here on earth that is worth what I'm dealing with here in this place. Now, as I said, we don't really like to talk about hell. We don't uh, like to think about it. But if hell is a real place, and it is, then we have to deal with it. We have to talk about it. And I believe in the very core of my being that heaven and hell are both actual, physical, real places. And every person who has ever lived, every person that is alive today, every person who's yet to be born will spend eternity in one of those two places. I don't think there's a door number three. I think it's either heaven or it's either hell. And I say that based on what God says in his holy word, based on what Jesus has said. And... I would even suggest that as Christians, 
that if we do not deal or talk about the issue of hell, especially to someone with someone who is heading there because of choices that they have made or rather the choices they have not made concerning Jesus. And we feel like, well, it's just not my place to say something, or I'm just too embarrassed to talk about it, or I might make them feel bad. You know, I want to tell you, we can have all these reasons, but at the core of it, it's actually a form of hate. That sounds like a strong word to use, but if I'm not willing to tell you about the place that you're heading to, if you don't know Jesus, then I must actually not care about you at all, that I'm okay with you going there. Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven. And I think the reason he did that was not because he was trying to beat people up, but rather he was trying to keep people out of it. I think that's why he talked about it as plain, as simple as you can talk about it. In fact, Jesus tells the story. Now, some have called it a parable, but I, I don't think it's a parable because he uses a real name for one of the individuals. Every parable up to this point didn't use proper names, didn't use somebody's actual name. This one does which says to me, this is a real event. And even if it was a parable, it doesn't diminish the reality of this event. But I think it's a real event because he uses a person's name. And so I think Jesus tells this event because he wanted to impress upon people the reality of a place called hell. So Jesus said this, and and I want to go straight to the words of Jesus because if a person doesn't believe the words of Jesus, then I'm not sure there's any hope for them anyway. I, I mean, the, if we can't accept that this is what Jesus says, who created everything, who is God, and he's the one who died for us so that we wouldn't have to go to this place. And so Jesus is telling this reality about hell so that we wouldn't want to go there and we would choose to accept his death for us. So here's what Jesus said. He said there was a certain rich man. It really doesn't matter who, but there was a specific rich man that he's talking about who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. Now just that description alone tells me he's one of the richest people around. He's at the top of the pile. And the fact that he could afford those kind of clothes and the fact that it would identify him, that Jesus would identify him this way, he was saying, this is as rich as you get. And he said he lived each day in luxury. He had the best of the best. There was nothing he didn't have. I mean, let's face it, you... When some of these celebrities got on YouTube or on Facebook or whatever and wanted to talk about how hard it was having to quarantine in their mansions, did you really feel sorry for them? 
I don't, I mean, I only have my gym to go play in, my pool to swim in, and, and you know, and all these servants to take care of. I, did you, I didn't feel sorry for him. Now, this guy, he was like that. I mean, he was a rich guy. He was at the top of the pile, and he had luxury, the best of the best of the best that there was available at that time. Now, at his gate, now, just the fact that he had a gate tells you how rich he was. You know, he would have had not just a home, he would have had a compound. And, and so if you were a relative and came and visited him, there's probably a couple of houses you could choose from to stay at. But he would have had a brick wall around his compound. And then there was a gate that you would have to go through to get into his home area. He says, now, at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. So he, he, that's indicating to me he, he just uh, was not taken care of, could not be, t- he, he had nothing available to him. And he did, because of his lack of nourishment, his body reacted and he would have these sores because he, he probably just had a horrible diet. I mean, he was eating garbage. That's what this guy did. And it says, as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, he was longing. I mean, he was just, all he could think about, maybe there will be a little piece of meat or little piece of fruit or vegetable, maybe a, a, a piece of meat that was so tough that the person didn't eat it and they just threw it out. Or maybe there's just going to be some little scrap that I might be able to nibble something off of it. So he longed for, I mean, that's what he lived for. This rich guy lived for the next banquet and chances are he had a banquet every night. I mean, he probably had people who come to his house every night to have a party. That's what you did. And Lazarus, just as people would long to go to this guy's party and have the best of the best, Lazarus just was just wanting the trash that was thrown out. That's what he had to look forward to. It says that dogs would come and lick the open sores. That's just gross. I mean, he had the hard life, physically hard, emotionally hard. Can you imagine? And that dogs would just gather around you to lick your sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. So so that's just a good lesson right there within the story. When a Christian dies, when a follower of Jesus dies, when a person who loves God dies, they they never die alone. They, They may have people there physically present, but there is a spiritual presence. And so when someone who loves God dies, there is a spiritual presence. There's angels, maybe Jesus himself, that ushers them in to God's, God's home. And they have a place at the table. It's, it's their place. They're not a guest. They're a resident. They're family. And, and so where he was longing for scraps 
from this rich man's banquet. Now he was sitting at God's banquet table that would have made anything that the rich guy served seem like trash, junk, garbage. I mean, no comparison. Now, so, so get this, this poor guy, Lazarus, in his lifetime, we don't know how long he lived, long enough to have a rough life, and had nothing. We, we don't know if he had other physical reasons why he couldn't work. The, Jesus doesn't tell us, because if, if Jesus didn't give us that information, that means it doesn't matter. But it could be that this guy was crippled. He physically could not work. We don't know, doesn't matter. And now this guy, so comparative, this guy has been in heaven ever since and still is there. Just think about that. I mean, Jesus took him to heaven. So we know this happened at least 2,000 years ago, longer. And he's been there ever since. And is still there. So his life here on earth was minuscule. It was just a breath. The Bible describes life that way. It's like a blade of grass. It's like a flower that it blooms and then it's gone. And, and, it's, and it describes your life like a cloud that's there and then it's gone. I mean, that's our life compared to eternity. Now, the rich man, Jesus said, also died. And was buried. It doesn't say that about Lazarus. So you see, they wouldn't have buried Lazarus. Uh, they would have picked up his body, drug it to the garbage pile in the city. They have a big garbage pile that was always burning. And they would have just thrown his body into the garbage pile. That's what they would have done. The rich guy, he had a burial. And it would have been an event. I mean, they actually would hire professional mourners who would come and weep and wail over his death and paid people to do that. There would have been a banquet celebrating his life. He would have had one of the fanciest tombs the city has ever seen, and he would have been buried there in all this pomp and circumstance. I mean, it would have been an event. It would have been amazing. But here's the deal. He didn't ever go into that grave. You, you see, when he physically died, just like Lazarus was never put on the burning garbage pile, his body was, but Lazarus wasn't. This rich guy, his body was put in a tomb, but, the, but his spirit was not. His soul was not. You see, his soul was also ushered to another place instantly. So the rich man also died and was buried and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment. So we now have two descriptions from Jesus about hell. It's a place where dead people go. People who are dead spiritually, not physically, but dead spiritually. He says, they, they, in other words, they don't know God. They don't know Jesus. In fact, you know, one of the things about this rich guy, he probably was a religious leader. 
He, he might have been a Pharisee or a Sadducee. I mean, he, he might have been one of those guys who knew by heart the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And uh, he, he would have known all that. He would have known what the prophets have said. He would have known about the coming Messiah. He would have known all that. He would have had the best of education. So he would have known everything religiously. So now he's in this place, and Jesus says it's a place of torment. So it's a physical place with physical pain, physical torment. He saw Abraham. Now, Abraham, he was the first Jew. Uh, Abraham is not in charge of heaven. Uh, He's there. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus said that Lazarus was just sitting next to Abraham at the banquet table. I mean, it's almost like God is saying, hey, you were at the bottom of the pile uh, there on earth, but you're on the top of the pile here in heaven. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to put you next to Abraham. He's the one that I used to start the Jewish nation. Not because he deserved it. I just chose him. And uh, the rich guy, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. So he did know who Lazarus was. He knew who he was. And he recognized him. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, so he knows who Abraham is. That's why I'm able to deduce that he was a religious guy. He understood who people were. In fact, it tells me that when we die, we're given complete knowledge. See, this rich guy would have never met Abraham, but when he saw him, he knew who he was, even though he was in hell. So we're given knowledge. Our knowledge is made complete. And one of the other pieces of knowledge he's about, he's going to reveal to us is one of the parts of hell. He says, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he's sitting there in hell. Lazarus is in heaven and he wants Lazarus to come and be his servant. I mean, this rich guy still doesn't quite get it. You know, Lazarus should come serve me. And uh, he said, let him just dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. So now Jesus has given us some other descriptions. It's a place of torment. It's a place of knowledge. You know what's going on? It's a place of anguish. And it's a place of, with literal fire, flames. And these flames burn but don't consume. So just as Lazarus is still in heaven right now, This rich guy is still in hell right now. He's still in anguish. He's still in pain. The flames have not even begun to die out, and they they never will. Just imagine that. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything. Everything your heart desired, you had it all. And Lazarus had nothing 
I mean, here's the deal. That rich guy could have absolutely changed Lazarus's life with the change in his pocket. He could have just used the change in his pocket and totally changed. He could have said, Lazarus, I'll tell you what, you're never going to have to worry about food again. I'm going to make sure you're clothed. We're going to get you bathed properly. We're going to get you healthy. These sores will go away. I'm going to, you're going to have a bed to sleep in every night. You're going to have food to eat every day. I'm going to take care of you. He could have done that with the chain that just the chain that he had left over. I mean, it wouldn't have touched his wealth at all. And he didn't do it. So he had the power and the, and, the, and the means to change Lazarus's life while on earth, and he didn't do it. All he thought about was himself. So Abraham said, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus, who laid at your gate, who you saw every day, and was longing just to pick through your garbage had nothing. So now he is here being comforted for all eternity. He's going to be fed and nourished and he's, he's going to live with Jesus for all eternity. And you are going to be in anguish for all eternity. This is never going to change. This is permanent. And besides, there's a great chasm, a gulf, a, a valley with no bottom to it. it. It separates us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers. And I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. In that intro, he became an evangelist. You know, you know in hell, the Bible tells us that every knee is going to bow and worship Jesus as Lord. They're going to declare Jesus as Lord. Uh, everybody who goes to hell becomes a flaming evangelist. And so he began to have deep concern for his brothers because he realized, hey, they were religious just like me and they're just like me and they're going to come here as well. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote, which they would have. And so they had the warning. They had the words uh, they had what the prophets have said and the prophets had been telling them that a Messiah is coming. And there the rich man said, no father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them, he, basically Abraham, he's telling Abraham, I read the same things and I didn't, I, I didn't respond. My eyes were blinded to truth because all I could think about was me. He said, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent from their sins and turn to God. He's, he's saying, so if you send Lazarus back, see, my brothers know who Lazarus is as well. And if you send him back, they will know, oh my goodness, this guy was the beggar guy. And now he has come back alive. And, and he's thinking that will change their minds. 
But Abraham said this, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, this is important, they won't be persuaded even if someone raises from the dead. How true that statement turned out to be because it wasn't that long after this, there was another man named Lazarus, except he was a rich guy. And so this story is not about rich, richness or poorness at all. Um, there was another guy named Lazarus and he was a rich guy, but he was a follower of Jesus. And he died and was in the grave for four days. And Jesus came and he, he raised him from the dead. And people literally saw that and still not all believed. And then shortly after that, Jesus would be crucified and he would be buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and not all would believe. So Abraham was correct. Even if a rich, even if a guy raises from the dead, they're not going to believe. It won't change their mind. So here are the five lessons about hell. First of all, the lessons we want to learn from this story that Jesus told. Everyone will face death. Everyone. That's a guarantee. Absolute guarantee. In fact, there's only one way that you could avoid death and you have no charge, uh, no, no control over this, if you happen to be a Christian and you happen to be alive when the rapture happens, those Christians will be the only ones that will avoid death. But do you want to take that chance? I mean, first you have to be a believer. But we're all, it's guaranteed, we're all going to face it. Number two, death is not the end, but only the beginning. It's like time ceases. There's not day and nights, weeks, months, and years. It just ceases, and it's just a continual state of being. And so the rich guy is still there, still in torment, not only physically, but emotionally, because he is looking and seeing into heaven and he is seeing what he missed because of his foolishness and his arrogance and his self-serving attitude. Number three, everyone will spend eternity based on what Jesus said in these verses. Everyone will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. That's an absolute. There's no third door. No other option. Jesus said these are the only two options. Number four, you decide in this life where you're going to spend eternity. You make the decision while you're in this life. And there are no second chances. Once death comes, there are no second chances. Number five, hell is a place you do not want to be. Just these simple descriptions in Jesus' words are enough to tell me I don't want to go there. There's even more elaborate descriptions in other places of scripture talking about gnashing of teeth, burning fire that does not consume, but it still burns. 
Hell is a place of torment, unending torment. You don't want to go there. And based on what Jesus said, there's no escaping it. Once you're there, there's no way out, ever. It's permanent. But here's the great news. You don't have to go there. (laughs) Isn't that good news? Now, the other side of that coin is, I deserve to go there because I've sinned. And anyone who has sinned deserves to go there, but I don't have to go there. And that's why Jesus came. So I don't have to go to hell. That's why he came and died for you. And he took on your sins. Now, some people say, you know, we, we talked about end times the last two Sundays. And, and, you know, if you're like me, some of you are, I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I'm ready for that to happen. But I want you to listen to 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. And that's talking about coming back. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. That means to go to hell, but wants everyone to repent so they can go to heaven. Jesus is delaying coming back so that one more person can make a decision about Christ. So he is, he is waiting for our sake so that we have another opportunity to tell our friends, our family members about Jesus. You see, let's face it, my desire for Jesus to come back right now is pretty selfish because I just want to go to heaven. But God is being slow about it. He's not slow about his promise as some people think. He is being patient for our sake so that we can tell others about Jesus so that others can respond to Jesus. And Jesus is pretty clear about how you avoid hell. You avoid hell by accepting what Jesus has done for you and that he died for you. That's how you avoid it. So I told you I was going to ask for a response. And here's what I want you to consider. If you do not know without a doubt that you're going to be in heaven when you die, why why wait to settle that? You can know for sure. You can know for sure that, yes, Jesus did die for you. You can know for sure by accepting that Jesus died for you. Because here's the deal. Everybody's going to declare Jesus as Lord. Those in heaven and those in hell. In fact, those in hell right now are already declaring Jesus as Lord. The rich guy is declaring Jesus as Lord, but not as Savior. You you can only accept Jesus as your Savior while you're still in this life. So if you've not settled that issue, why wait? So I encourage you to come and just let me pray with you. I'll be here at the front. I want you to just come and let us pray And we will settle this issue about Jesus in your life. About where you're going to spend eternity. And 
whenever I do this, I always open the door up for you to come and pray for your friends and family members, always. Because we must take that advantage every chance we get.